You've clicked on Behind the Buzz, a Public Fit's occasional podcast scrutinizing the myriad details that made up the production of some of our most popular past shows. I'm Joe Kukin, producing director here at APF, joined by artistic director Anne-Marie Pereff. Hi there. Hello. And today, in a special add-on episode, we'll be talking with Lauren Gunderson, the playwright of our recent stage reading of I and You. Fair warning. <laughs> We reveal a number of spoilers in this conversation about INU, so if you haven't seen the play and want to stay in the dark, this might not be the episode for you. So, Lauren Gunderson is a playwright, screenwriter, and short story author from Atlanta, Georgia. She received her BA in English slash creative writing from Emory University and her MFA in dramatic writing from the NYU Tisch School of the Arts, where she was also a Reynolds Fellow in Social Entrepreneurship. Awards include the 2016 Lanford Wilson Award from the Dramatist Guild, the 2016 Otis Guernsey Award for Emerging Writers, the Barilla Kerr Award for American Theater, the Eric Bentley New Play Award, the Global Age Project, the Essential Theater Prize, the list goes on and on. INU received the 2014 Steinberg ATCA New Play Award and was a finalist for the Susan Smith Blackburn and John Gassner Award. Lauren speaks frequently to myriad groups on the intersection of science and theater, is quite outspoken on the importance of arts activism and writes for the Huffington Post, the Wall Street Journal, and most importantly these days, she tweets at Lala Tells a Story. Her plays include The Amazing Adventures of Dr. Wonderful and Her Dog, Toil and Trouble, Exit, Pursued by Bear, I and You, The Revolutionists, and again, that list goes on and on and on. Finally, Lauren was recognized by American Theatre as the most produced living playwright in America for two seasons in a row, 2018-2019, second only to dead white guy William Shakespeare. We are so thrilled today to be talking to her. Hello, Lauren. Did I get any of that wrong? That was mostly right, right? (laughs) Mostly. (laughs) Good. Well, we'll take the amendment later. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to re-record that, I'm sure, two or three times. Thank you for for joining us. You either have nothing better to do or you really enjoy talking about theater. (laughs) I I really enjoy talking about theater. And I'm really honored to be here. Thank you for all you do and all the shows you lift up. And um, it's really, it's really great to be here. Well, thanks for saying that. You know, I want to I want to jump right in because in that long list of stuff that I that I've uh, read and the long list of stuff that I've read about you now, nowhere did I see um, any sort of I don't want I don't want this to sound insulting, but any sort of educational background in in science from you. You spent a lot of time in the arts, so I'm really curious about your interest in that connection. The connection with well, when I look at the list of your plays, it's really the 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 marriage of theater and everything. <laughs> but there's a lot of marriage of theater and and science. Yeah, yeah. Where did where did that come from? I mean, you know, I've been writing about science since my very first plays. Um, I think it's because I knew I wanted to write very early. Um, I was a young, a young kid and, and knew I see the power of this and Mm -hmm. I love the feeling of this and the kind of puzzle solving part of writing and the like empathy gym (laughs) of writing. Mm -hmm. Um, I just love it. Um, but the question is, well, uh, all right, 17-year-old girl, what are you going to write about? <laughs> so yeah. my first play was about a 17-year-old girl. The second play <laughs> was was what I loved to read about and understand, and that leaned toward the sciences, biographies, history. 
Um, and so I've kind of been on those two tracks my entire career of, um, you know, wh- what do I know from my own personal lived experience? And then what do I dream about and time travel throughout history mm-hmm. and um, making up wild worlds? Uh, and so, yeah, I, I kind of I kind of do a bit of, of both. But it, but in terms of, of the sciences, it just felt like, you know, besides theater and storytelling, um, science is the truth. Um, so I, I find the, the truth in both of them in, in different ways. Mm-hmm. And I, I want them to talk to each other. Mm-hmm. And I love that um, when you do a play about science, you get a lot of scientists in the audience. You have great talkbacks. You involve mm-hmm. such interdisciplinary communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's really, really riveting, those conversations. And I think uh, really important. Um, so, yeah. Well, but, but science, but also, I mean, history and uh, female characters in history and sort of the marriage of theater and, and those things, it really seems like you have um, a, a, a very clear idea of the power of theater and what and how theater connects to so many things. Is that, is that a true statement? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, when I was a, I was a kid, I looked around again. I, I knew I wanted to write when I was young. And, and part of that revelation was looking around and not seeing a lot of plays that I could do as an actor, as a, as a mm. young girl, and saying, wow. Why? <laughs> Even as an as an older girl or a woman or, an, or you know, on and on. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm such a uh, been so influenced by by Shakespeare and learned so much and Tennessee Williams and Arthur Miller and on and on. And um, and I kind of looked around and said, well, who's writing all these plays? Oh, lots of men. OK, mm-hmm. so <laughs> maybe that's <laughs> those two things are related. Um, and, you know, Katori Hall talks about this as well. She started writing mm-hmm. incredible roles for black women because she didn't see any. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, you know, that um, was the fashion when I was in my undergraduate program yeah. a thousand years ago for our instructors to say, hey, ladies, there's not enough parts for you. You're just going to have to deal with it. There's just more parts for men. Well, yeah. and some people dealt with it by shriveling up and quitting the business. And some people dealt with it like Lauren, by writing those parts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, do you still act? Do you still perform? Lauren, or do you? <laughs> um, funny you should ask that. I, I rarely do, frankly, because as Trenton will know, it's very hard. <laughs> it's very hard to do. Um, and, you, you know, in normal non-COVID times, you have to show up every night to do that. And I am not very good at that sort of regularity. So um, I, I do sometimes. Uh, we just had a uh, an audio play of a play of mine called The Heath, which starred me because it's about me <laughs> and my grandfather. And the other oh, wow. role was was performed by the incredible John Larroquette. So that's Holy those cow. rare moments where <laughs> I, I will do those things. But again, an audio play is something you can kind of do once, get it right, and then go go back to the, <laughs> the but, world. A, A, I, I did not know John Larroquette was still alive. I'm so glad to hear that. And and two, was that, so you say it's a play, it's a play about you. That seems new. That a, seems a bit of a departure from all the stuff I've read yeah. from you before. What, what, what led you to that step? Yeah, I mean, both The Catastrophist, which is the other play that I've worked on in COVID times, um, which is based on my husband, but there's a lot of playwright Lauren in there as well. And The Heath, which I'd written long before COVID, but um, <clears throat> it felt like the, the right kind of play that could live happily in a, in a COVID safe medium like, like audio um, audio drama. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I've been thinking a lot about this because somehow I got in my head that you weren't supposed to write about yourself. And so, um, but then 
I'm, I'm in the body I'm in. I'm in the experiences I'm in. I've been made by the world as I've experienced it. And so at a certain point, I think every writer probably turns to what they know very much for true. <laughs> I know, yeah. I know this to be true because it happened to me and I've trained myself to know things that didn't happen to me because it happened 300 years ago or because I've read about this and that. But, but I think there is such a purity to somebody saying this happened and I'll tell you, I'll tell you how and, and what I know after it. Um, so that the Heath is about my grandfather who uh, died of Alzheimer's. And so it's about memory and aging. And he was a kind of good South Carolina Christian man and his granddaughter is, you know, highfalutin Shakespeare reading elite <laughs> coastal. <laughs> um, and how do those people talk to each other? How do you, how do you know, how do you love each other when you're so different? It's, it's seemingly. Mm -hmm. So it's about that connection and about all this. And the catastrophist is, you know, about my my husband, who's a virologist who studies pandemics. <laughs> so it's oh, so you, so, oh, so there is a scientist in the family. Indeed, yes. <laughs> um, he he is br brilliant, um, and this is a way to kind of talk about the moment we're in without talking about the moment we're in. So it's not about what COVID, you, but it is about pandemics and well, the science behind. What are your what are I, know, I don't mean to jump away from the play right away. Sure. But what are your what are your conversations like these days as a as a theater writer and a virologist during the pandemic? What must those conversations be like? Yeah, I mean they've changed they change every day as the world does. I mean, I, I remember him waking up in January of 2020 and every day and going, "Oh, this is not going to be good." And I was like, "Oh, mm. what? What are you even talking about?" Well, <laughs> Be fine. More um, people die from the flu. Yeah, <laughs> and then I mean, I have never seen him react to any any news like that. Um, and so it kind of, mm -hmm. you know, put the <laughs> hairs up on the back of my neck. And this is January, mm -hmm. February. Well, it's, in the, and it's in the title of that play, the catastrophist, because that indeed. sounds like an alarming, alarming warnings. Indeed, um, and it's it is that thing that that's kind of his job is to think of catastrophes and what a, what an odd and harrowing job <laughs> for that to be. Mm -hmm. What you are, what you choose uh, to to do is to focus on. Okay, what's the worst thing that could happen? Let's let's talk about that. <laughs> can, can I say too? I love the note because there's so many historically prominent um, figures and characters in some of your past plays. Uh, well, and some fictional ones. Uh, uh, to the the taming with um, and the, and I've, I'm sorry I've forgotten the name but there's the wit you have something with the witches from Macbeth yes to um, that's toil and trouble toil and, and trouble then, toil and trouble yeah uh, book of book of will about Shakespeare's colleagues and friends but then also and, the but the rev, the revolutionists and uh, yeah. uh, I, Emilia did defends her life tonight mm -hmm. the, but you you've you've added yourself to that roster you've joined those prominent historical women in this play you've written about yourself is that a, is was that intentional <laughs> um not in the way that you said it which makes it sound <laughs> <laughs> Very grand. I've really, I've, I've made you, I've made you more pretentious than you are, just because I'm so, because I'm so pretentious. So it's no, I, would, it's, I wouldn't say she's pretentious. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying I've made her yeah, that because I yes. am, and, and it's completely, yes. completely false and wrong. Well, and, and in some ways, it's it's a funny thing because it's a bit of the of opposite of pretension because it is very humbling to. Mm -hmm put your story in that form because what the form of theater asks us to do is to face the worst of ourselves and to face the hardest things. 
And um, in some ways, that's what made me hesitant to write about my husband was because my job as a dramatist is to to take a main character, find every weakness and fear and sorrow and say, we're going there. <laughs> um, yeah. And so to do that with oneself or with people we love, with my grandfather, um, on and on. And, you know, it works well when I'm, when I'm writing about Marie Curie. It's kind of interesting to think about, oh, I think of her as such a a kind of titan of of stability and intellect and then finding that one part in her life that was just a mess where she was so depressed she almost killed herself i mean how how do we know we know so much more about her because of that story than all the nobel prizes so you know finding those those hardest moments it's um it's a bit of a bear <laughs> to, to to think about it for oneself or, or anyone you actually know in 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 life I I, um, I teach play analysis at uh, UNLV, and one of the, the playwrights that we explore is Sam Shepard, and he said in a quote of his, I'm not going to be able to quote him word for word, but he said he, he faced a moment in his life where he realized he had to start writing about his own experience and start writing about his family and start writing about um, his father and his relationship with his father. And that was very challenging and very personal and very exposing. And then we got Barry Child. So, uh, yeah, it's not about instinct to follow. I think (laughs) many, many writers have have done it and and with varying degrees of of explicit accuracy to one's own life. You know, sometimes you mm-hmm. say this play is about me and you're like, where? <laughs> and and the writer knows all of the corners of it that are that are very much true to their lived experience. And it doesn't necessarily look exactly like that from the outside. And then some are very much like, hi, this is, you know, <laughs> this is well, me. <laughs> and, and I don't know if, if you've thought this way, but I don't think you can always do it with just one play. I don't think, I think Buried Child, yes, but also Fool for Love mm-hmm. is a connection to his yes. father. I mean, yeah, for the, talking about Shepard, it took Eugene O'Neill how many plays to, to not just Long Day's Journey it it, it uh, Tennessee Williams oh, how God, many yeah. plays yeah so are, are there more coming from you are you going to be able to do it in just one play or are there going to be more do you think there's always more plays with, with me yeah. <laughs> but you know I I think one I, one thing I haven't written as much about is motherhood and you know if I end up as a grandmother or that's, I don't know that Lauren yet. I don't know mm-hmm. what she knows. So we'll have to see. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned motherhood because that that's a really easy transition now into talking about I and you, um, <laughs> which we, I'd like to, if we can for a little bit, talk sure. about I and you. Um, that seems like a play written from a very specific perspective, this teenage girl. And I don't know, uh, is this your your experience as a teenage girl? Is this your experience of looking around at the at the children around you? Yeah, it's very much an amalgam. I mean, that character, I think, was I was determined to write a prickly, quote unquote, unlikable female character um, because because of what how few there are um, and how scared we are of them critically mm-hmm. and artistically girls just have to fall into such perfect boxes. And well, we still for, call them ingenues. We yeah. still say, we still say when we're casting that age, Carolyn is an ingenue. Yeah. Well, she's, and she's, she's not really. <laughs> she is mature and feisty and powerful. Um, but also that is because she's dealing with very adult things, a face to face, nose to nose glare with her own mortality, with illness, with heartbreak, um, with being isolated and so I, I really wanted to kind of examine that age where you're enough of a kid to still 
think kid things mm -hmm. and all of the hope and, and excitement of youth, but also whether it's because of your own experience or, or, you know, it's always your own experience that has matured you perhaps even beyond where you would be um, mm -hmm. or anyone else's at that age um, to really give you a gravity to your experience and, and your life and your perspective. So, so mm -hmm. Caroline was, um, you know, she's, uh, she's a little bit of me, but I'm actually way more Anthony <laughs> in terms of, oh, like, really? you know, <laughs> nerdy obsession with things and perfectionism mm -hmm. and feeling like I have to be the best student. And Caroline doesn't give a crap about any of that. She's just, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, very much, um, trying to push the world away and, and she's kind of given up when we meet her, even though we may not think mm -hmm. that in her heart she has. And it's until she meets Anthony, um, that she finds, um, more reason to be. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because, um, I have a lot of compassion for, for Caroline because I see her potential in the future. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I knew a lot of, Caroline's in my past. I would say that I was a Caroline, mm -hmm. very feisty, uh, a lot of shields, uh, and you have to you have to kind of break through those shields in order, you know, to adapt and become more self actualized. And so, even though you describe her as unlikable, I find her so lovable because I see her potential. Well, me too. That's the point. Is I <laughs> yeah. knew I knew people, and they did reviewing it, talking about her unlikability. And then you think, why? Because she's dealing with something? Because she mm -hmm. has a specific personality? Because she may not be nice to you? What what have you done to earn her niceness? You know what I mean? So there's I, I so much. There's, we're so unforgiving when it comes to girls. And then my, my counter is always like, is Hamlet very likable? How mm -hmm. likable is King Lear? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> Let's maybe also, take that word off the table. Or <laughs> also, I feel like women are really hard on each other, and oh, yeah. even oh, just in 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 a, in a really nasty, you know, insidious mm -hmm. way. And I found that uh, with some of my my female friends who came. Uh, to see the play, they were really hard on that particular character. And I was so defensive of her. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, <laughs> you know, I get her. She's, you know, she's mine and I'm going to protect her, yeah. you know? So I, I, I really relate to that. Well, I also think, I mean, she, she is, she's a child. I, I think there's, but she's a very modern child. Your use of, of the language and the capturing of sort of modern kids speak is remarkable, I think. <laughs> and, and, uh, uh, but, she is she is a young person today, and I think a lot of those people who may find her unlikable just don't like children or don't like those <laughs> you know those kids today. Get off my lawn, sort yeah. of. Attitude. Also, you just have to sit back and wait because yeah. once you get to the third act and she you know gets in front of the camera and starts reciting mm -hmm. her presentation from uh, her class project, you know she's got the whole audience in tears, and she's mm -hmm. so lovable and so insightful. So mm -hmm. you just have to you just have to sit back and wait. Yeah. Is that a, was was is her condition her her medical condition something familiar to you or is that no a I mean that the play kind of ended up also being about three um, people who I knew in high school who died very young um, some who knew they were going to and some didn't um, and the suddenness of it or the longevity of a diagnosis. Um, just it's 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 profound to to think about that. Um, so the play is dedicated. The names at the at the beginning are dedicated to three folks 
um, who I knew and who their their lives were very powerful to me, but but their deaths were certainly um, uh, there's no there's no real word <laughs> for that kind yeah. of loss. Um, and I wanted to really explore what it would be like to be in the body of being that that youth, uh, a, a youth deterred, you know. Um, and uh, so that's that's part of Caroline's aggression, right, comes from she feels like the world is after her, like there is no hope, there is no reason to be excited about literally anything on earth. Um, and and what must it be like to be in that space? So anybody who kind of says like, well, she has a bad attitude. And I was like, yeah, she also has a terminal <laughs> diagnosis. So like, yeah, <laughs> maybe a little empathy just to figure out, like, let's meet her where she is. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, yeah, but she is, uh, to your point, I find her courageous and brave and um, fascinating. Uh, and, and you know, the, the truth is like a lot of prickly people, she really wants love. She wants to be known, but she's afraid of it. And mm -hmm. what, what the, the, the thing that happens to her is the entrance of a smart, vulnerable um, warm, uh, and inviting human, um, mm -hmm. who isn't supposed to be there, who she doesn't know. She doesn't think she has anything in common with. And he brings out in her through contrast of their personalities and, mm -hmm. and what they're about, um, the, uh, a, a way to know herself and to be vulnerable. So really the journey of the play is from a girl who you do not think will let you even an inch near her true heart to a person who says, I, I know myself and I want you to know me too, which that's kind of the simplest journey of life, right? <laughs> but, and, and you've, you've brought yes. up Anthony now, the second, the second character in the play. And I should point out to people who are, can't see us that we're all on a, on a sort of a Zoom call. And, and part of this call is Trenton Miles Carson. And Trenton actually played Anthony in our, our stage reading of INU. Uh, he was brilliant and charismatic. And uh, you, you can kind of see, Lauren, I'm sure you can understand just how beautiful a man he is. Look at that <laughs> face. Look at that guy. <laughs> Anyways, so you, you've, you've mentioned Anthony. And I... I I wanted to ask a little bit about that character and your perspective of that character, because you've created, I don't know whether you realize this or not, I'm sure you do. You've created a real challenge for a director and actor in that character, because he is neither of this world. Uh, he is both of this world and not of this world. He is a metaphysical character, but he is also representative of uh, a kid that she probably kind of knows from school. Mm -hmm. But the reality of the character, and anyone who's listening to this podcast should just accept the spoilers that are are to come. Uh, <laughs> Have to you've created a character that at the end we find is well what that, that's my question what is he he's certainly not all in her imagination it's certainly not mm -hmm. all in her head um, the dichotomy between an imaginary vision and a sort of metaphysical spirit attending her where do you find Anthony fitting into that weird sliding scale yeah I and, think... and does that make sense when I say that you've created a challenge for the director and actor am I am yeah. I... And at a certain point, I just say he's a totally, he's a boy. He's absolutely right in front of you. There's nothing about him that is not there, present, real, material um, in her room. Um, because if you do, you, you can unravel uh, the play before it's ready to be unraveled. So yeah, you, don't, think, you don't want to hand him props <laughs> and have them fall through his hand and yeah, oh my no. God, he's a ghost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. Um, and I think, I think I, I usually 
uh, abhor vague endings of plays. Um, but in this one, I'm fine if you don't quite know if Caroline invented him, made up a story that would be helpful for her if he is absolutely real, if he is angelic, if he is metaphysical. Um, who? But what I know is when we meet him, he is real and full of heart and complexity and humanity and um, mm -hmm. and it is through that that we know the truth, which is that. Um, so in my mind, he is a real person mm -hmm. that um, uh, we we come to know. They are bonded <laughs> in, a, in a in a specific way by the end. So as a as a playwright, you're comfortable leaving those decisions up to the actor and, and director because I know a lot of playwrights that are very sort of adamant about what this should be and who this person is and who the but you seem very comfortable with the idea that well, those are decisions that can be made by others. I don't. I what I what I am comfortable with is a bit of um, ambiguity at the end of of specificity, mm -hmm. but I think the mm -hmm. playing and the reality, the experience of the audience should be this is a. This is a, mm -hmm. this is a, a man. This is um, yes. a young man who's in front of us, fully alive, fully complex. Um, and then, you know, at, at, at the end, the, I mean, if it's a spoiler, we can be a spoiler. The, the truth is that Caroline is now hosting his organ. Um, he saved her life, um, not intentionally, of course, but with his <laughs> tragedy, um, uh, that he he is a part of her story now. And so all of this is one big metaphor, basically, for transplant surgery. Um, yeah. And sure. the idea yeah. that when he enters the room, it is as though his the organ is entering her body. And yeah. all of the times that he wants to leave or she kicks him out are moments that perhaps if this were a medical drama, it would be like, beep, 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 oh no, we're losing her, <laughs> you know, rejecting <laughs> right. the organ or whatever. She's rejecting so, the yes, organ. It's Absolutely. one big metaphor, really. And so at the end, um, the most important part of the play is the hug at, at the end. So it's not a line. It's not anything we've heard. It is just the two of them in the fiercest, most honest, most urgent hug um, that that they don't want to get out of until the play kind of basically says you have to go now. And it's funny, it took us a while to get to that because we rehearsed this play during COVID conditions. And oh, yeah. the actors, mm -hmm. the actors actually rehearsed the, the majority of the play th with social distancing. Yeah, and, we had to. Um, and masks. <laughs> yeah, for, well, we were, even though it was a stage reading, I took it very seriously as mm -hmm. a, uh, I didn't want it to be. I wanted it to be almost baked. Mm -hmm. and, and since I hadn't directed a, a, a project in such a long time, it was just really nice to be in the rehearsal room. But I was really afraid to to put the actors in danger, to put the stage manager in danger, put myself in, in danger just because of what, you know, the world is experiencing. So, um, you know, we socially distanced, we masked up. I, I didn't see the actors' faces until we did rapid testing Mm -hmm. You know, two days beforehand, and that was quite an experience. Uh, I wouldn't you say, Trenton, for you guys when you took your masks off, and yeah. Um, yeah, Carmen, definitely. who played Caroline, she couldn't stop laughing. She was like, "What's happening? <laughs> That's what you're doing underneath that mask? Yeah. Oh my goodness!" It, it was really kind of like a nice acting moment uh, for them. Well, since you brought since you brought Trenton into the conversation, I want to ask you really quickly, Trenton, the the comments that Lauren's making now about Anthony, do, does that land? with you? Do you re recall heading in that direction? Because I remember we had a conversation and you had a bit of a problem identifying the reality of the character. Yeah, um, it was it was a little hard for me to um, figure out exactly what Anthony um, 
is. But I think like Lauren was saying, that's the the point of it. It's kind of up for interpretation. So my my thought process was, okay, if Carolyn is if Caroline is um, going through this procedure and she's trying to figure out if this liver is the right liver for her, um, <laughs> then what what would that look like uh, from Anthony's standpoint? Um, mm-hmm. And I just figured she would be dreaming about a boy. So he's just a regular boy who kind of puts the idea of, hey, you should think about loving yourself and think about living life and pursuing life, even though things are kind of down right now, you should, you know, he plants that message in her head. And I kind of just was, I thought it would be best if I just thought about him as just a kid. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, it played very well. Well, yeah. I mean, you can't play like you can't play an unconscious organ because that, that would be impossible. But I do. The idea just, is just like don't play the ending. <laughs> Never play the ending before you're at the ending. Play the because right. you don't want it. It's such a great reveal, you know. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but I do love that there are these little tiny breadcrumbs in in your in your play. You know, like she can't. Uh, transmit things through social media and the mother never shows up. And there's all these little tiny hints to the ending that are so subtle that could mean multiple things that the audience would never guess that it's really a play about uh, a a young, young person accepting an organ. Uh, But I, I loved those, those moments. And so we did have conversations uh, in, in table work and in rehearsal about well, what is this character and how do we make him immediate? Uh, and so, yes, we, we played it as if it was a, a, a budding love story and, mm-hmm. and who doesn't love a, and a love story? in some ways the play could be complete even if you didn't get to the last eight minutes <laughs> of mm-hmm. the play. You could cut it off. I'll see you tomorrow. Great. Oh, Oh, mm-hmm. we finished small. our project. Oh, nice. Yeah. What a great, oh, what a great little play. Oh, mm-hmm. and they then the last nice eight kiss. minutes could have, you know, so I, I really wanted it to be a complete thing. It would be a very different kind of, you know, satisfaction, that kind of hyper realism. Um, and then, of course, because I can't help myself, it's like, no, let's maybe not <laughs> do that at the end. <laughs> but I wanted it to be a complete thing before the rest of it so that it's kind also of like that's two really, plays happening at once. Also, that's really fresh and new. You know, there are a lot of uh, young people's stories about about love, but mm-hmm. not about this, mm-hmm. not about what you you chose to write about. So that was uh, also uh, that's was one of the things I really loved about the play. Well, Thanks. I'm curious. I'm curious about the the, the introduction of, of Walt Whitman to all this, mm-hmm. because you've just talked about stories about young love. And I don't think of Walt Whitman when I think of of young love. I know when I was taught Whitman in, in school, he was sort of a jumping off point as sort of a manual of how to live. Mm-hmm. And as a as a you know sixteen year old kid in school, I thought this old and they should you, you saw the picture on the back of the book, the guy with the beard that came down to his sternum and he just <laughs> sits there with the long, you know, Gandalf pipe. And I just thought that this guy is going to teach me uh, this is the jumping off point of how to live. Is, What's your connection to Whitman and, and, and why, why Whitman for this one? I mean, he's so American. He is so... <laughs> oh, that, that is true, yeah. Wild. Um, it's one of those plays... Uh, plays, everything's play to me. Um, it's one of those... <laughs> um, 
works where you are taught it kind of like the glass menagerie, honestly. Mm -hmm. You're taught that play and it's a standard and you do it and you know the things you're supposed to think about it and you know all the the reasons it's good. But if you break it down and just look at the, the opening monologue, Tom's opening monologue and closing monologue, there is some radical poetry there. It is spine tingling what it's able to do. And if we take it out of the, it's a classic and therefore we already know all the things about it. You got to meet it where it is. And I think the same is true with, with Whitman on a grander scale because his writing is just untethered. It is, it is wild and full of motion and, um, it's like super queer and it's radical. And, you know, there, so when I, when I read it the first time, kind of actually trying to get myself to not do the assignment of reading it, but just go like, <laughs> what is this? Like, and, and to realize people didn't write like that, um, in a published way before him, they d- didn't exist. It was mm-hmm. a poem is something with form and with boundary. Um, and he was like, Why? you know, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just love, uh, to me that felt like something Caroline could understand, um, is somebody going, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to write the way you want me to write. I'm not going to think the way you want me to think. I'm not going to talk about Mm -hmm. love or bodies or death Mm -hmm. in any way that has been done before. And it just feels like a big F you, you know, a beautiful F you. And I think that's (laughs) what Caroline would like. But for Anthony, I think there's answers in it. It is comforting. It is beautiful. It is John Coltrane, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the reason those two art forms are there is they're very American art forms. Mm-hmm. And they're radical. Um, and and through the through the radical rule breaking, pattern breaking nature of them, um, they are they find a kind of epic beauty that was was unknown before mm-hmm. then. So I, I I go to those two um, because you know as as a kid everything is a discovery. You know <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. these would have been new to them, and you you don't know something until you know it. And and that age in particular when you're seeking out like you hear the Beatles for the first time. Like wh- I don't remember mm-hmm. when that was for me, but there was a moment when I was like, "What is this?" You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think trying to capture that moment <laughs> when you are young enough to have things be totally new but mature enough to know that there is great meaning um, in them and to kind of feel the like the wisdom and like want to grab it. Um, so I, I, that's, that's part of it. Wh- Whitman was like that for me. And, and um, I have several memories of reading him on, you know, outside of my window on my little slanted roof outside my window mm-hmm. that I was like, this is, this is way weirder than they're telling me. <laughs> I'm so glad that you explained that. Uh, that because that gives me a lot of insight. I remember when I read the, you know, the one of the most important moments for uh, a director is the first time they read the play. You know, I kind of create my hot list of just like the impulses that I have and mm-hmm. the sensorial experiences that I have. And, and usually when I come to a play, I, I don't really come to a play in a very intellectual space. I come um, to an, a, a more emotional heart space because that's just how I'm wired as a person. So when I got to the the presentation with Caroline, I got really emotional, <laughs> and I and then I finished the play, and then you know Joe was in the room, and then I'm like crying and like reading him and trying to explain like what just happened, and he's like, "What's going on?" I'm like, "You don't understand." Uh, but then as I I got to work on on the play, what I appreciated, 
Oh, and by the way, the the gal who uh, the actress who played um, Caroline, she also had the same experience that I did when she mm. read the play the first time. We both got really emotional. So then in rehearsal, when uh, you know we were exploring it, what what it was for me was a, a collision of disciplines, like. Here you have like this literary idea, this music idea, this play idea, this play about a medical condition, this play about life and death, like all coming together in like a perfect storm in this moment, this play about love and mm -hmm. uh, in that moment. And and so it, it, it takes it beyond just a very simple story about two people falling in love. It, it, it becomes like high art to me. Mm. Uh, in that moment. And, and that's uh, why I, I love that moment and, and the play so much is the, is that collision. Yeah. I mean, I never thought about it until you were just saying that, but the presentation, because what, what Anthony offers mm -hmm. is a way to understand enormous things. You, you understand just tides of humanity through Whitman. But truly mm -hmm. what the play is, is doing is the same thing. They are trying to unpack meaning, to find meaning, that they're doing it in the Whitman and he mm -hmm. does it with Coltrane and, you know, she does it when she talks about her turtle and her, you know, these, her photography, her art. Um, those are all ways to find, to desperately find meaning that you are, you, you want so much to understand what is love, what is life, what's the damn point. What are we, what am I doing? What, why, why and what and how and all that. And, um, and you know, that, that is in some ways the assignment of this play is to say, Caroline, Anthony, this is your chance to find the meaning in meeting each other and being together and, mm -hmm. and the, the source, the soul, the life that you see in each other is now yours. Um, and so finding that meaning, uh, in some ways it, it, it's like the, it's like Anthony comes in and is like, I do not know how to talk to this girl. I do not know how to walk in and be like, hi, I'm dead. You have my organ. Let's talk. <laughs> no, you, you obviously can't start there. So you, how does he get there? Come on, that that say, was in the first draft though, I bet. Right. It was a very short play. <laughs> um, so, so the idea is to know where, where I'm getting, I mean, we've got to get to that point, but how do we get to this point where um, he can say that and know that it's going to be okay? Because he has a journey too. His journey is like, is this the body I want to be in? <laughs> like, is this oh, yeah. the life? And if, and if it's not, I got to fix it. I got to communicate to her about how big her life needs to be, how beautiful, how even if, if it's really hard, keep going. I believe you. I need you. Anthony needs her. She, she mm -hmm. needs him, but Anthony needs mm -hmm. her too. And so coming, finding that coming together is really where both of them are searching for something they think the other has, you know, um, and, 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 and that they need from each other, but it's, it's a very delicate, um, journey mm -hmm. and, and I, should be very emotional and, and actable. I love how you can, you also bring up the fact that Anthony too could opt out at any moment. Right. Oh, yeah, totally. So that it's makes not, it not worth more it. dangerous. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a really interesting idea yeah. that his his goal is to make hers a life worth saving. Oh, yeah, because um, he's he's going to be on the ride with her. So is he going to be on the ride with somebody who's a total bummer and hates everything <laughs> and does not want to participate in the world and is depressed? No. 
Um, he wants to be like, I have dreams and they were cut short. So you got to have those dreams now. You know what I mean? Um, so the idea that they really do need each other, that's the only way the play works. Otherwise, it's so lopsided in terms of what she wants and needs. Um, mm-hmm. he, he, he is asking something of her. He's working on her the whole time. Um, and of course he knows what she doesn't, but that's what makes it kind of interesting. And in some ways, one of my favorite notes to offer for those doing productions is they should be, um, acutely aware of exactly where the other person is in the room the entire time. There is not mm-hmm. a moment that Anthony doesn't know exactly how far away she is from him and her to, and, and, and he to her. Um, and they should constantly be stealing glances, being trying to figure out who is this person? What, are, what do they want? What do they really want? What are they hiding? What did they just, was that the truth? It wasn't the truth. I mean, it's got to be like the most vigilant acting. And that, and that doesn't have anything to do with the words you're saying, right? It's just constantly mm-hmm. figuring out like vigilance, just vigilance, vigilance. Um, and I think that makes the play dangerous and mm-hmm. and on the edge and and full of things that maybe have nothing to do with what they're, they're talking about cookies and fries and school and cats and likes and stuff but like what are that what they're really talking about is I need to know exactly who you are mm-hmm. and I don't want to break anything because I'm afraid if I just ask you that you're going to kick me out and I'm done mm-hmm. and or she's going to be like whatever so I think it's, it, it offers on the surface, it can be like, oh, what a cute little love story about teenagers. Um, but what, what it can be is a real masterclass in acting of, of mm-hmm. all the subtleties, all the corners of acting. Like when it's, it's a roller coaster, it should be a hard play to do, to sustain the energy to do, because it is, there's not a moment when you get to relax, right? Because mm-hmm. if you're not relaxing, um, you're either having this tense, like, I'm talking about a thing, but I'm talking about 12 things at once, or you're like bawling on the floor or <laughs> having a panic attack, yeah. you know? So it's, it's actually quite, quite a, quite an ask for, for actors, which I think I, I can tell the plays where they just thought, Oh, what a walk in the park. People are going to love it. It's cute. Mm-hmm. And then the people that get it and you can see like, Oh wow, that's a very intense night of, of, of theater. <laughs> Was that your experience with Carmen Trenton? Did you, did you have that level yeah. of sort of, uh, yes. suspicious connection. Yes. Suspicious. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, it, this was definitely, uh, one of the more difficult plays that I've, uh, been a part in. And, hey, and, you, was, did, and you did the flick. But, uh, I mean, with this, it's just like Lauren was saying, it's, um, it's just about understanding what these characters want and what these characters need. And, I would love to do this play again uh, as an actual production because uh, I don't mean, I don't know if you know, Lauren, but we were holding our scripts um, on stage the entire time. So Mm -hmm. technically it was a reading, but the uh, effort and the time that we put into it, it it definitely felt like a production. So you had had five weeks of rehearsal. You were, you were 85% of the way there. Let's, let's be, let's be honest. The only thing you were missing was the only thing you were missing was a set and like real props. Although we do have the turtle. (laughs) (laughs) Where where did that come from? Lord, where did the turtle come from? My son's little toy. <laughs> really? Oh. Oh, That's awesome. I love, so I, I want to ask, if, just to talk about young people, um, from my perspective, there's a forgotten audience in the world, right? We have sort of theater for grownups and mm-hmm. we have children's theater with men in their underwear and guys in <laughs> hamster suits. But there's that audience, that, that high school sort of college age audience that seems to be kind of a forgotten audience. I don't know that anybody writes 
specifically for them. They write for themselves. I don't know if anybody writes for them. Do you feel this is a play that you've written for that audience or is this a, a universal? I hope it's universal. But what, what I think when we usually say universal, we mean people over 30 who have yeah, yeah, lots exactly of expendable right. income. Exactly right. Have, yeah. You know, so, so I think what, what I, the biggest compliment I've ever gotten about this play was in its very first production where a group of high schoolers were, um, we did a matinee of the show and enough of them wanted to bring their parents. So they came back with their parents. They brought, brought their parents to the theater instead mm. of their parents oh, hauling great. them to the theater. Right. Mm. And I, I think that's, that's the kind of theater that I really love is that intergenerational conversations that can be had. Mm. Um, and the idea of a young kid saying, mom, you need to see this play. Who says that? Like, <laughs> that's yeah. very, that doesn't happen. So, right. um, and, and it was it was really interesting when we did a production in the UK a few years ago that was mm. gorgeous production with Maisie Williams from Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. Zach Wyatt, um, uh, Ed Hall directed. And one of the really interesting things was Maisie obviously has quite a big fan base, uh, particularly on, on Instagram. And so they did a videoed recording of the production that was released on Instagram for like a week or two. And you could watch Holy it only God. on Instagram. Oh, wow. And, um, and you could see, you know, it was in two halves. And um, it was this radical, again, we're in COVID and we're so used to doing things in a video suddenly in the last year. But but then it was like, what do you mean a play is on Instagram? What are you even talking about? So I thought it was such an interesting way to, to, to meet the audience of that play um, where where they are, which is on their phones <laughs> and on their iPads mm-hmm. and on their computers. And so we, we saw people obviously around the world watching her, mm-hmm. her, her beautiful mm-hmm. performance. Oh, wow. Um, because it, it, you know, it's a play about a girl on Instagram, a girl taking pictures with her phone. And so why not mm-hmm. we put the play there? Um, which mm-hmm. I think was fabulous. You know, so we had our, our traditional production where you have all the normal people mm-hmm. that come and, and a bunch of other folks. I mean, sure. She had, um, got a lot of younger audiences to that theater, um, because of who she is and who Zach is. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I just thought it was really interesting of kind of saying, if we continue to insist that there's one way to experience theater and it's the way mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. older, richer, whiter people do, then mm-hmm. that's actually not inclusivity. That's that's not that there's no. Mm-hmm. Of course, we understand why people are coming. If you're like, if you're not going to welcome me in the way that I want to be, that I can can be there. Okay. Well, I understand. This yeah. is the perfect transition. This brings me to it's sort of sort of my last subject. And you've been so generous with your time. Thank sure, you so much. I, I hope you can give me just another five minutes or so. Of course, because of I, course. Yeah. Because I really want to ask you about something that this this touches on exactly what you're talking about is is your contention and i've i've done some a little bit of research on you is your contention of the 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 true and honest ability of theater to make permanent change in the world but but you can't do that if you're appealing to just the sort of narrow slice of audience that you're you're discussing so how how does one do that it it, it, and is art and theater is it inherently radical (laughs) <laughs> and how do how do we how do we keep that if we're appealing to this sliver of audience that you've just so accurately um, yeah. d- described? Well, I'd love to hear what you would say and what Trenton would say, but I, I can offer. I've done a lot of thinking about this, and part of it is to listen um, to the people who aren't coming, and mm. why <laughs> is it if we continue to insist that theater is $50 a ticket, $100 a ticket, $200 a ticket at 8 p.m. on a Saturday, then we're not going to get people with kids. We're not going to get people with more than one job. We're not going to mm-hmm. get people who don't have transportation, childcare. Um, we're not going to get people who don't have that expendable income. And so we have to either say, 
if we if we believe that these plays matter and they do touch people and they they do as as recent scientific reports that just came out yesterday was a study that said that uh, a play that is really engaging and well done can make sustainable change, not just in a person's opinion, a political opinion, an emotional opinion, but in their action. They will donate more after seeing a play um, about, uh, you know, various various things that they wouldn't have done before. So, okay, it is a tool. It's an active tool. So we have to figure out if we believe that it matters, which every grant that everyone submits, every, every 501c3 is saying we believe that theater really ma- matters. It's not just entertainment. Da, da, da. If we believe that, then we got to do better. Then we got to make sure that the most people see it, engage with it, are welcomed in, um, uh, and not just the people who can pay the the, the price um, mm. that we're used to asking them to pay. So how do we the do idea, that? How do we how do we do it? I think streaming. I think d- digital offerings are wonderful ways to kind of certainly for folks who haven't been to the theater before. Um, mm-hmm. I think we should tell people a lot more about the plays um, on the website. I think like. What if you got to read the first five pages of the play of the script on the website? You got a long, a whole scene that you could see, um, so people know what they're getting. We do it with movies, and I that's why that people idea. go like, "Oh, I want to go see that movie versus that one." I don't know what the heck's about, especially for new plays, right? If you're doing Hamlet, mm-hmm. all right, you can figure out the, the plot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> quick, quick Google, but but for brand new plays, we're asking people to spend money and time and resources to something that they're like, "What is it though? I don't know who that is. I don't know, you know." So like, can, mm-hmm. what can we do to say, here are all the things you need to know. Some people have never been to a play before. They don't know how to buy a ticket. They don't know when to show up. A friend of mine mm-hmm. was saying, you know, when um, some of her friends who'd never been to a play before showed up an hour late because that's what you do at concerts. Beyonce doesn't mm-hmm. show up on time. Right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like, you, know you, you, the Mumford and Sons or whatever you're watching. I don't know, but like they all, they have an opening act and then you an hour later and they're like, well, I didn't want to like sit there and wait. So like there's stuff that we think We've inherited these things that like, why not just talk about it? Um, when we talk about color conscious casting, you know, there's some of some people have been like, I don't understand why they're sisters, but and you're like, let's just talk about it in the program. Here's mm-hmm. here's what we're doing and why. Um, so people feel like they're really equipped. Um, and I think the radical stuff is making it a lot cheaper. And this is more of a conversation for grantee for grantors and funders. And like, how can we make this so that um, for one, one chunk of time, um, however mm-hmm. we want to figure that out. Cause it, it is a big barrier. Um, and you know, I, I also think it's making sure that the plays you choose, the people you work with, um, are very as diverse as the, the town you're mm-hmm. in, as diverse as the country and the world that you're in, not just the one we're in, but the one we want to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's, that's where we get to kind of see it. So you can be it kind of a, um, kind of a thing there. I have, uh, I teach, uh, women's playwrights also in, um, at UNLV and you are, you are almost certainly to be on the curriculum. <laughs> yeah, well, not, I usually don't include the play in, in my curriculum unless I've directed it because I don't feel like reading it three times is enough to really teach it. Sure. And so now I, now I've had this conversation with you. I have my, you know, I've gotten in the trenches with this play. But there was a perception in my class uh, with a, a, a young black man. He thought that play, there was no representation uh, uh, for him in plays. And, and we showed Pipeline uh, 
by Dominique Morisot. Mm -hmm. And he was like, wow, there's a play about me. Uh, and, and just getting that information out there, you know, just that idea that the, the plays, there's multiple stories, they're diverse, they're written by women now, they're written by people of color. That is is, is new to the last actually 10 years. Uh, and I mean, one the of, truth is they've been yeah. there for a long time. And so talking uh, about why is it new, it's because the power dynamics are new. It's because right. artistic directors have been white men for a long, long, long time. Yep. That's true. And now we get to say... Let's talk about Lorraine Hansberry. Lorraine Hansberry, yes. that was, that's a 50 year old play and one of the greatest plays in the American, in the American Absolutely. theater. So, you know, how can we kind of say, um, as a way to continue to challenge those biases? Um, and I think one of the, the greatest things during this last year, which is a hard <laughs> 12 months to say anything great about, but has been <laughs> for, for theater, has been the emergence of this incredible organization um, the We See You White American Theater, who has called out very specifically in, in excruciating detail, um, mm -hmm. necessary detail, everything about um, theater mm -hmm. and theater going, theater producing, um, that that is problematic. Um, mm -hmm. And and that is something that now that we have the they wrote a handbook basically they mm -hmm. all those incredible people did the work for us now we have to go now that we have the handbook if you mm -hmm. don't use it that's a choice right mm -hmm. <laughs> so there is so I I'm, I'm excited about how when I think about the future of theater I'm like thank God we're at this moment in time where we absolutely. Get, to dive in and do things better and differently and bring people to the table and say, if this is not the table, let's make a new one. That's, 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 that's for mm -hmm. you. Um, mm -hmm. and, and how do we, how do we hand share power and how do we, you know, um, mm -hmm. yeah, learn about ourselves through this thing. One of the things in, in my classes, I, I go to the Pulitzer list and I show between 1959 and 1980, there was not uh, one woman who won a Pulitzer and Lorraine Hansberry was looked over uh, during mm -hmm. that time period. And so why, and that, that is a great play that, that, that play actually changed my life uh, in, in, in another way. So, uh, yes, I do think that the, the I'm power. I'm going to everyone in the audience's <laughs> intelligence and point out that play is called A Raisin in the Sun. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. We've skipped over that title. Yes, we, we, we have. Did. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, no, I'm yeah. sorry. I'll sit back. I'll carry on. No, no, no. Uh, so, yes, I, I do agree that the power dynamics have changed and I'm excited about them. And uh, and I'm also appreciative of your of your comment and how we how is it that we reach people? And the thing that really stuck with me that you just said was. We have to just, we have to ask people what they're interested in. You know, mm -hmm. we're just making the assumptions that they would be interested in, in, in a thing that we're interested in. Right. And right, because we love it. We're like, oh, they're going to love it too once they see it. But that, that's, that's not an empathetic approach. We have mm -hmm. to really ask people, well, what, what is it that, that excites you about story? Mm -hmm. I, I think the quote I'm going to take away from all of this is is talk to the people that aren't there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Talk to the people that aren't coming, I think, is a pretty yes, smart way to absolutely. think about it moving forward. Yeah. So you're optimistic and about the future of theater. Maybe it's because, like, your snacks are terrible. Maybe because the wine is bad. You know, I'm, <laughs> well, our snacks are because, fantastic. Yeah, we serve sure. ice cream. We serve ice cream like the See, Brits. That's, that's perfect. Um, but, you know, may, maybe it's because the time is just too late. Like, if it was at six, they'd totally come. Like, you never, you don't right. know. You know and, yeah. and right. it's hard to understand a thing that you don't that you don't talk to um and anyway so i, I I'm, I'm excited about where we're going i think i do think that this um 
this kind of rediscovery of things digital is is intriguing. I, we will not know how to perfect it for a very long time, if ever. But I'm excited that that's much more in our vocabulary now. Um, are you are you writing for the venue? Are you writing for that that uh, genre? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the catastrophist was a totally mm-hmm. digital play, and oh, that's what you said, yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, and audio plays. I, I was lucky to do an audio play. The Half Life of Marie Curie was an audio play commissioned by Audible because they had started this whole new project where they. This is before COVID. Um, that mm-hmm. they were like, let's bring the radio drama back. Um, it was a big deal in, in the UK and continues to be, but the US was like, what do you mean? <laughs> um, yeah. So mm-hmm. they commissioned all these new plays. Um, including, I was very honored to be in that first cohort and the play resulted was both done on stage with the amazing Kate Mulgrew, um, uh, in New York. And then, uh, an audio version was captured as well. So you can listen to it. You can have both, both experiences and you can like do the play. It's been done on, you know, like a normal Mm -hmm. play You get the rights and you do it. Um, Mm -hmm. and then there's this audio version that you can take on a walk with you or right here in the car. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is, there has been really savvy, really smart, um, explorations of different forms of, of theater. And some are magical and some are terrible. <laughs> that's fine. You know, a lot of theater is terrible. What? That's, yeah. that's okay. It happens. Um, it's an that's, exploration. That's, yeah. the I, that's the other quote I'm going to take from this. Talk to the people that are out there and a lot of theater is terrible. But also what's terrible for me may not be terrible for you. And that's totally, yeah, that's, that's the whole and you gotta, wonderful you gotta part do, of it. You got to do a lot of terrible to get to the good stuff. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I, I just think we, we kind of, if we continue to do theater for the right reason, you know, it's never going to be bad. Right. Or if, if it's bad, it's still good. You know what I mean? Um, there's, and there's, there's, and what's the reason, Lauren? What's your, what's your reason? What is that reason for you? I think it is to learn how to be the best citizens we can be. Um, mm-hmm. It is learn how to be with each other. Um, I think mm-hmm. the actual anthropological origins of theater is a Mm -hmm. tool to investigate things we go through, all of us at some point, um, so that when we do go through them, we have a little experience. We have some wisdom passed on. We we can understand what it's like to love, to lose someone, to trust, to be betrayed, to have joy, have sorrow. That's why we go to the theater is to say, to watch a a life in front of us and take notes (laughs) to say, oh, that's a good point, Hamlet. Maybe I will not make the same choices as you or, you know, (laughs) look at a raisin in the sun and be like, hell yeah, that's, I am, I will, I wish I was that good of a person, you know, or whatever. Maggie said, Maggie Edson said a very similar thing that that mm -hmm. part part of the the role of artists and the responsibility was to help people through their journey. And that that was how she sort of approached life. So that's a remarkable See that that journey happens a lot. Everyone goes through some version of it. Um, And and yeah, so I I think when if we're doing that, if we're trying to say what is both universal and distinct um, and we can hold those two ideas in our head right there is everyone's going to love everyone's going to lose. Um, live, die, grow, change, et cetera. But what is distinct about this person's life is also mm-hmm. as value as what is universal and, and how to, how to blend that, um, and be welcoming, like, don't be mean, <laughs> <laughs> be, be nice, be creative, surprise yourself, like surprise, you know what I mean? There's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I think the point is. <laughs> and that's it. That seems like the perfect place for us to, to stop right now. You, you promised us a half hour. We, you, you've given us an hour. I, I, I can't thank you enough for the it's generosity so of your time and conversation and thoughts. And it's really, I have to say, it's just so refreshing and really nice 
to talk with someone working at the level that you're at who remains optimistic about the theater and remains yeah. optimistic about the, the nature of art and the efficacy and power of uh, of art and, and its, its radical uh, uh, potentials. Well, um, it is a great pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for, for doing I'm the play and spending such great thoughtful time on it. Um, so nice to meet you, Trenton, and <laughs> bravo. <laughs> we, 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 were, we, were, we were actually hoping to do it as a, as a stand-up, fully staged performance, um, sneakily hoping to, to grab in some of that younger audience that you were talking about. But, but also, uh, it's just such a beautiful play. And, and we're very interested in theatrical moments. And the, your play is just full of beautiful theatrical moments that sort of uh, offer the chance to take audiences breath of the way so thank you oh, for thanks. that and, and 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 is there anything you want to plug anything that you're writing now that you want to plug you want the, the name of that audible um yeah you can play? listen to the half-life of marie curie on audible.com uh you can listen to the catastrophist at marin theater.org m-a-r-i-n uh, theater with the re <laughs> dot org. Um, that'll go. Are you, are you still resident? You're a resident playwright there, yes? Yeah? So I'm a resident playwright right there? there. Yeah. So you can listen to it there or at Roundhouse Theater. They're both hosting that. Um, and yeah, th just thank you for, for any way that your audience is is um, supporting theater, engaging with theater. I just thank them for for not giving up. <laughs> Um, during this wild time, and I cannot wait to be in an overcrowded theater lobby drinking crappy wine at intermission. <laughs> us too. Come soon. Yes. May call it be it, soon. Call us, call us when you come to Las Vegas because everyone ends, up, everyone ends up here eventually. So come, <laughs> come visit us. I would love it. Thank you, Lauren. It was such Thanks. a pleasure meeting you. Likewise. Thanks. And that's it for this episode of Behind the Buzz, a continuing conversation from a public theater company. This was a special add-on addition to our previous season, and, and I want to thank Lauren Gunderson and Trenton Miles Carson for joining us today. What a, a great conversation. If you enjoy these conversations, please take a moment to subscribe. We have plans for more episodes forthcoming as, as we navigate our exit from this pandemic. In the meantime, if you have any questions, comments or suggestions for upcoming episodes, upcoming seasons, drop us an email at behindthebuzz at a publicfit.org. Your, your suggestions really do help us as we continue to examine our work and continue to talk with influential artists who truly work to change the world around them with, with their work. Behind the Buzz is a product of a public fit theater company in association with Giant Leap Industries, Adam Paul, director. of Giant Leap Industries.